You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey, Adam. Hey. I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach James. I'm sorry. I forgot that bit. I forgot the bit. It's it's interesting that you've held on to the bad boy of podcast, you know, of X-Men podcasting, like after the Attitude Era. Like, I thought that might have just been an Attitude Era, but no, it's it seems to be sticking you know i think i think i'm just gonna stick with being a bad boy for the rest of my life what they gonna do what they gonna do when they come for me i don't know (laughs) oh man you might have to run away well here's the thing adam (laughs) because you know what we're talking about this week i do Yeah, we're talking about Runaways. That's right. We are talking about not just the Runaways, but actually like three different volumes of the Runaways. So I, I this was an exciting one for me. And for folks who are wondering, wait a minute, that's not an X book. We have our reasons. Our reasons are this is our podcast and we can do what we want. Also, there was a request, if I'm not mistaken. That's the other thing. Someone did give us five U.S. dollars. Love and those U.S. dollars. <laughs> the thing, the thing, folks, and you need to understand this. If you give us five dollars, we'll do <laughs> almost anything we can justify. I I do not know how many requests we've had to say no to, but it's an, it's a tiny, tiny amount. Infinitesimal. It's really not that many. You know, we can usually figure it out. And this one was no brainer because mutants galore in these three stories. If that's what we want to say. Great. Because uh, <laughs> the request came for us from Patreon supporter Robert Headley. And if you want to be like Robert, you can go over to patreon.com slash battle the atom. Reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks and throw five dollars our way. You do that. We'll do an episode built around one of your suggestions. Mm-hmm. Also, while we're plugging stuff, Adam. Yeah, yeah. People people may be familiar with the website Comics XF. I've heard yeah. that this is a Comics XF podcast, if it I'm is. not mistaken. It's yeah, you may have heard uh the handsomest man in uh podcasting announcing that at the beginning of our show. It's true. And if you support the Comics XF Patreon right now, I can tell you what, and I don't know how much longer this offer will be valid, but I can tell you that. Since it's the holiday season, there may be a Christmas card coming your way. And that Christmas card may have forearm from the Mutant Liberation Front yes. being a little dormer boy. Oh, my God. It's so cute. Kevin Newburn did such a good job with that card. So I'm I'm really hoping as many people support the website as possible and, and get a get a card in the mail um, and support. The I'm, still, I'm, I'm still incredibly pro the website. I'm just also incredibly pro my own personal free time. Well, you're a busy man and trying to. Meet I'm a busy, some... important man. I'm not no teen who has to run away from things. That I is can't... right. I have to face my problems, Adam. Yeah, you do occasionally have to trust adults, uh, unlike these characters we're going to talk about today. So, where are we starting, Zach? What is the request? And then maybe we'll get into who the runaways are. 
Yeah, 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 we can do that. So the request is Runaways Volume 2, numbers 9 through 12, East Coast, West Coast. Uh, this is written by original Runaways creative team Brian K. Vaughn, uh, with pencils by Adrian Alfona, inks by Craig Young, and colors by friend of the show Christina Strain. Mm-hmm. Hey, Adam, what's your relationship to the Runaways? Was this a book you were reading ever? So, uh, probably about nine years ago, I just I realized that I'd never read Runaways, at least the the BKV era, you know, the original volumes. And so, someone say, as of nine years ago, some would say the good Runaways that you should read. Right. So I, you know, they were all collected in those those great little digest trades. Um, and it was funny, actually, the school that I was working in had them all in the library. So I just started checking them out. And uh, that was how I read that entire run. So very familiar with, you know, the basic story of the Runaways, which is a group of kids whose parents were supervillains trying to take over the world for the Giborim, the sort the of Giborim. Yeah, the, the Giborim. Giborim. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, elder gods. The elder gods. And, you know, once that doesn't work and the the parents are all dead, you know, they got to go out on the lamb. Yeah, um Runaways is a book that when I started really getting into comics, uh I picked up the collected edition of pretty much the entire Brian K. Vaughn. I think I actually rented out the omnibus. Uh-huh. Uh, that collected both volumes that Vaughn did. And I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I was probably 22 at the time. And it's like, oh yeah, this is fun. Like I'm not a teen anymore, but I remember these things. I get this feeling. Also, they were teens at the same time I was a teen. And I'm like, yes, okay. I can feel, I understand it. I love the characters. Molly Hayes, obviously everyone's favorite. She's a mutant. She counts. Mm -hmm. But you know, like, I really loved Molly and Gert and Nico. Uh, They're just like, I am a Runaways fan. Whenever any of these characters show up, I want to read about them. They are fun and I love them so much. And I'm glad we get to take an episode to talk about the Runaways. And it was very interesting going back to some of these stories, especially the Vaughn run, which I had not checked out in a spell. Me either. And I think this first story is icky in a way that i was not remembering (laughs) i had not read this one in a while (laughs) this story could not be more 2005 Uh uh-huh in every possible way oh boy which i'm gonna say on one hand i think brian k von does an excellent job capturing exactly what being a teen in 2005 was like speaking as someone who was 14 years old i also think that sometimes I'm going to go out on a limb, Adam. I think Please. at 14, I could have been problematic. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there are elements of this story that have not aged super good at all. Yes. So this arc involves the Runaways um, encounter with Cloak and Dagger. Sometimes X-Men characters. And Cloak and Dagger. The new of, yeah. So some, right. So. You know, we have, I guess they're sometimes mutants, sometimes not, depending on who writes. When marketing wants them to be mutants. Right, right. They are mutants. We're starting there. Um, We also have the new Avengers, including Wolverine, in this story. There's a great Wolverine moment, which is how most X-Men fans probably know this story. Yes. 
But the bulk of the story is about how Dagger is now hospitalized after having been assaulted. It's unclear how exactly there, there is a video that is shown as part of the second issue that she's obviously been physically assaulted, but there's also an icky implication that there may have been more to it, but it does appear at least by the evidence that is shown that it is cloak doing this. Now cloak is maintaining his innocence and is basically asking the runaways to help him clear his name. Yeah. It's, it's a premise that feels very like real world 2005. Like we're going to take on the issues, which to be fair is exactly what cloak and dagger teen runaways who got their powers from drugs. Like that's their MO. I get it. Uh, But it's one of my problems with Vaughn as a writer. Uh, And I, I tend to like Vaughn, but Vaughn will always go for shock when it's available. It's it's definitely part of his writerly uh, strategy. And it's it's part of why, while I like Saga, right. I've got a lot of people. I'm not just going to like hand a trade of Saga to you because there's a there's a bit of like, what is this? Right. Hold on. Why is this? Why is this dragon f- himself? I don't. <laughs> I'm like, no, trust me. That's not the part that I'm interested in. But go off, King. Um. I think you're absolutely right that it's definitely something he falls back on. And unfortunately here dagger as a character is really abused in a way that is just unnecessary, you know, all to support the rest of the story that's being told so that cloak can clear his name because spoiler alert, it turns out that uh, cloak isn't the person uh, that did this to dagger. It is someone that works at the hospital after we were given kind of a red herring that it is, it is a priest, um, who, who works, um, in a local church, but it goes back to the original drug storyline because this guy has been taking mutant growth, mutant hormone, growth hormone and the, the hottest drug. street drug, the yes. hottest street drug of 2005 mutant growth hormone. It was everywhere, everywhere. He's a very he's a very buck from Kill Bill Volume One character, and that sucks. Like that does not it does not make for an interesting antagonist to this when you find out who it is, because now he has cloak powers from mutant growth hormone. Yeah, and so that's weird to begin with. I think you're. Killing- what else? Do you know what else is weird? What else is weird? Brian Brian K. Vaughn invented the Hood, a character uh. who. You could very easily confuse with Dag or Cloak and would be so hot in 2005. Sure. Absolutely. But that doesn't change the problematic nature of the story itself. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, Which I think begs the question of why we needed to do this in the first place. Like there could have been other reasons that Cloak and Dagger could have been on the run from the new Avengers that didn't involve this. You know, your your kill bill analogy is interesting because it is just the assault part. Like Dagger has no agency here whatsoever. She, doesn't. she never and gets to is, go on any sort of revenge thing. And you know, even if Adam, she did, do you know what other comics were coming out in 2005? Uh I, I mean it's been a while, but please enlighten This is me. the year this is the year of identity crisis. Oh. This is like I do not think you're wrong. I also 
think it's important to lay the context of this was just what like media and especially comics were doing at this time. Like it, cause it's handled so blase. So matter of factly, like that was just in the water yeah, for whatever reason. It's unfortunate because it definitely shows a real lack of empathy for female characters. It shows that, it's a very much a male writerly mindset about who gets the agency and whose stories inspire what other characters, you know? Um, so Adam, we're and, not talking, we're not talking about the follow-up Joss Whedon run here. Are, are you confusing something here? No, or, wait, I'm, what? Not, I'm not, uh, but the, there are, there are, I do want to compliment. There are a couple good parts to this story. I think, um, the part where obviously the runaways get split up as part of this story to make it a little more interesting. There's a really mm. great interaction between some of the runaways and Spider-Man who, you know, presents himself as like, Hey, I know I'm on the Avengers, but like, I'm still a guy and I would like to be helpful, but that goes very much against the runaways entire mantra, which is we do not trust adults. To be fair, every time they've trusted adults, it's gone really poorly. Yeah. And also to be fair, the runaways are supposed to be kind of stupid. Like, just, they they are teens who make bad decisions. So while Spider-Man is in this interesting position of trying to be the friend of the teens and, like, engage with them casually because he's been there and he understands it, he also is an authority figure now. And yep. he has to balance that with Captain America being very strict on this. And again, this is 2005 Captain America. This is, this is, we're still coming out of 9-11 strong Captain America. And he's not super duper on this, but it's, I like that scene a lot. I like a lot of the interactions. There's, there's a favorite interaction in here. Yeah. We should talk about Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine shows up. Wolverine's acting like a complete Jagweed. Like he's just, (laughs) he's acting, he's, he is out of pocket and he tries to, he gets mad at Molly Hayes. And the thing about Molly Hayes, if you don't know Molly Hayes, let me describe Molly Hayes. She is maybe 10 years old. Yep. I think 10 years old is how old she's supposed to be. Could be 11. She is prepubescent. Like she's a little kid. She's a little kid. She wears animal hats, yep. like hats in the shape of animals. Mm-hmm. She calls herself princess powerful because she is strong and she likes princesses and she is a great fun little girl who at one point dreamed of joining the X-Men and marrying Wolverine. But then she met Wolverine. (laughs) Then she met Wolverine. So that's the thing (laughs) Then she meets Wolverine and gets so annoyed and mad at him that she punches him through an entire church. Yep. And out into the street, which is a really great moment. So for all the not great cloak and dagger stuff in these issues, I do really appreciate the interaction with the other heroes. I feel like that is where the story is still really shining. Well, it's not shining when you deal with the villain Pusher Man. Yeah, Pusher Man. Oh, I forgot about this. There's this whole racist thing that's happening in this with this like pimp-like character who's living in this pocket dimension of some kind. Oof. It's a it's a whole lot of ideas, and I think it's supposed to be like a white dude parody of pimps, which was like pimp culture again was 
quote unquote pimp culture was very big for white guys in 2005. Like they were idolizing this. I, I understand where this is coming from. And then at the same time, I'm like, probably we could have forgotten that people were doing this at the time. We didn't need to document this in a comic book, Brian. Yeah. I mean, it shows that I already kind of blocked that out of my memory after I read this, but um, I'm not wrong. Think about it. Think about 2005. Think about MTV Cribs. Yeah. MTV like, Cribs. We, were, we were doing this. I mean, if you think about what Justin Timberlake is getting in hot water for right now in Britney Spears memoir, it's basically trying to <laughs> adopt, you know, this, this black culture. And this character is kind of like along this same pathway, you know? So uh, the the character of Chase has to pretend that you know the pride is is actually still alive or or is commanding them to do these things and he, he does it he does a trick and gets a clue about it's, the pusher yeah. man's he pushes drugs on people get it's it it's very much an unnecessary part of the story with a very unfortunate caricature of a character that just i hate pusher man he's not good yeah uh and look there's there's plenty else in this story that is imperfect there is some 2005 dialogue that would not get printed today nope no it would it's not. both deeply inappropriate and exactly what teens were saying in 2005 yep so it, it walks a weird line in the way that only media that has not aged well has however there's a couple of things that I think really work about Runaways. One, I think the core character interactions of Victor, Gert, Molly, Chase, Nico, like it works. Oh, yeah. They work as a unit. Yep. And Vaughn's got the dialogue down. The other thing that I love, Adrian Alfona. Great art. My son, I've, I've mentioned that me and my son were reading uh, the Ms. Marvel run by yep. G. Wheeler Wilson uh, with Alfona starting it. My son loves Adrian Alfona. Favorite artist now. Uh, and it was fun to go back after like him obsessing over that and looking at this older art and seeing, okay, this is different. Mm -hmm. It's not as loose. And in fact, I, I tend to like Alphona's stuff on Ms. Marvel where he's a little more looser and experimental, but the tight pencils work here. The characters are still deeply expressive, which is really the key to Alphona's art. I, there's, there are so many pieces that work about this that it makes me like it makes me take it in balance as one unit of here's a lot of stuff that doesn't work and hasn't aged well. And maybe I wouldn't hand it to a teen today, but I also, I don't want to say I'm fine with things don't age. Well, I want to give this book a little bit of leeway because it is a book about teens in 2005 mm -hmm. being young and making mistakes. And it does an incredible job of expressing that warts and all it's also very 2005 in that like i think you give this to someone who's younger today they don't get it and they think it's aged poorly not because of content but because that's not the reality that they are spending their youth in and it's i think it's for a specific moment and i am actually very okay with media that captures a zeitgeist and doesn't age well in that respect like it 
it doesn't work in the future because, hey, sometimes you can make a topical joke and it's really funny. And maybe it's not funny when it's no longer topical. That doesn't mean the joke wasn't funny when it was written. Sure. It just means it, it does have to be funny when it's written because sometimes you can make topical jokes that aren't funny when they're written and then they age even worse. So I do think there's two ways that we could look at this, right? You could say that Brian K. Vaughn is writing these kids as being fallible and not having all the answers and maybe saying things they shouldn't. But Brian K. Vaughn is also an adult while he's writing this. So, you know, you could also look at it that way. I, either way, I, I think we can both recognize this story has some flaws, um, but it also has some fun stuff in it too. So just like we do with every other story, we should probably rank it on our big old list. So that's the thing about this show is that we rank every X-Men story from best to worst of all time. We are on the road to 900 people. That's 900 stories that we're trying to rank. Maybe we'll get there. We have 846 right now, so we're real darn close. Uh, with the number one story being House of X, Powers of Ten. The number 100 story being the Mighty Thor Asgard Shi'ar War. Number 300th story being the first Juggernaut story, a story Adam did not read all of. The 500th story <laughs> being X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Not that one. The one from 2005 that mm. uh, Akira Yoshida wrote. Uh, number 700 <laughs> is it's never not funny that he did that and faced no, no real repercussions. Whatever consequences he faced were not enough to dissuade him from getting a very important position with the company, <laughs> determining yeah. their editorial line. Pretty uh, wild. Number 700 is Sabretooth Mystique. And the worst X-Men story of all time is number 846. 2099 World uh, Tomorrow. All right. Where do you want to start here, Zach? Is this a 500 story? Uh, what do you This is better that? than this is better than X-Men Age Apocalypse from the same year, 2005. OK, I just don't know how much higher it really is. I mean, this is not like Runaways at its best by any means. It's really not Runaways at its best, which is part of the issue. Yeah, like um, but I, 491 is Mutant X 123. And honestly, I like that better than this. Are you serious? You like that better? Yeah, because this is so. Adam, yeah. Mutant X is bad. <laughs> I know it's bad, but it's not like. All right. Well, at 479 is Bishop's Crossing. This is certainly not better than Uncanny 281 to 283. Come on. I'll put Bishop's Crossing ahead of it. That I'm not going to try and argue. Is the, Which one's Marvel Team Up 89? We should really write details on some of these. Oh, no, this isn't better than Marvel Team of 89. Actually, wait, no, it might be. This is when Spider-Man and Nightcrawler have to fight the Circus of Crime. Oh, come on. That's better than this. Or not the Circus of Crime. It's arcade, but at the circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's yeah. better than this. That's a lot better All than right. this. I know, but I always compare that story to the time where Nightcrawler and Punisher and Spider-Man were all in the same comic. Yeah. That one's way better. That is better, but I still think that this Marvel team-up is better than this arc of Runaways. Yeah, you've got Mystery and Magic poor, uh, highlighted here from Hunt for Wolverine. I think we're in the same ballpark as that. I do, too. Uh, I I think this is better than Mystery and Madripoor because I think Mystery and Madripoor has bad art. Yeah, I can uh, go for that. I would, I would put it above that and above Gambit Tombstone Blues, but below Songs of the Orphan Child from X-23. That sounds great. So this is going to be our new 485. It will be our new 485. Good job, Adam. Nice. All right. So we have... It's called Runaways East Coast, West Coast. That was the story. Yes. 
Uh, and we've got two more Runaways for you. This second one is just a single issue from Runaways Volume 3. It is number 10. And uh, this is during the San Francisco era. Yeah, uh, this is this is a comic called Molly Fest Destiny. <laughs> Great name. Which <laughs> is it? Because here's the thing. I understand why they called that story arc in X-Men Manifest Destiny, but right. I also feel like if they understood why they called it in, call, they should call it Manifest Destiny, they could have also very easily understood why they definitely shouldn't have called it Manifest Destiny. And I feel like that's something that the uh, the marketing people at Marvel need to sit with for a little bit. <laughs> Look, And I then making it a pun on top of that is like, okay... You're so far removed, you don't even understand what you're doing here now, folks. Yeah, so we've got Chris Yost writing this and uh, Sarah Pacelli penciling and inking with Christina Strain again on colors. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to forgive the pun because this is just a very silly uh, <laughs> issue of Runaways where Molly visits the Utopia Island. Molly does visit the Utopia Island. Now, this is, let's be clear, Runaways Volume 3, after Vaughn leaves at the end of, or at the end of his part of Volume 2, as mentioned earlier, Joss Whedon shows up to do yep. mm -hmm. one arc of it, uh, an arc that is, I've never read, but is bizarrely about uh, a child bride who joins, oh, they go back in time and the child bride joins the Runaways. Oof, okay, sure. Do you not know yeah. about Carla? I've never read the Joss Whedon Runaways run, so I... I've never read the Joss Whedon Runaways run either, to be fair. Yeah. But then they try and make... They try and do a new run that starts with Terry Moore uh, writing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just, I don't know how to say, he doesn't continue writing it all the way. Because, like, you got this Chris Yost fill-in, and then it moves over to Catherine Imminen, but that's not enough to save the series and it just kind of ends about one arc later. Uh, and mean, that's the last that runaways happens for a good nine years. Yeah. Cause the arc after this is battle world. And then uh, we'll get to volume five in just a sec, but this is really just uh, Molly on a field trip. And, um, <laughs> it's pretty funny, at least for the first half, because she's just interacting with all of the characters from the utopia era. Um, you know, including characters like Rock Slide. And it's it's just, she's not happy, you know? She's just being a bratty little kid and she's very angry about Wolverine all the time. And um, it's silly. Could you believe that the man who wrote Thor The Dark World wrote this? <laughs> uh, it lacks some of the, um, I don't know. Like, it, as silly as Runaways can be, it always has a certain level of, like, soap opera-y gravitas to it. And this has none of that. This is just very goofy. There is... Molly goes to Utopia and Wolverine get Well, not even Utopia. It's when they're living in San Francisco but have not moved to the island yet for that, like, year. She's hanging out there and Wolverine gets told to chaperone her. Kind of as a joke from Cyclops, because he likes watching Wolverine suffer, which is right. nice. <laughs> but Molly just annoys Wolverine a lot, because for some reason... Okay, this, this is a weird thing, though. Like, I get that Wolverine's mad that Molly Hayes punched him when he was just being a jerk to her. Mm -hmm. Which, one, he shouldn't. But two, Wolverine, historically 
has a high tolerance for the most annoying child you've ever met. It's true. Given his uh, predilection for, you know, uh, mentoring youth, you would think that this would not be the end of the world. But I feel like Molly is coming into this um, in a bad mood. You know, like we're not getting Molly on her best day here. And it's played for laughs. You know, Wolverine. Molly doesn't want to leave her friends, which is not even she doesn't have anything against mutants. But the two mutants she knew best were her evil parents who were supremacists. So she's like, "Mm, I'm not sure I trust this. Also, I don't trust any adults. And the one time I met Wolverine, he was mean to me. Yeah. Yeah. As we just mentioned, he punched her. I mean, she punched him out (laughs) through a church out into the street. Even though in the original run of Runaways, and I mean, this is in like the first eight issues or something, Molly does have a dupe stuffy that she sleeps with. Right. And it's not that she doesn't get along with anybody, you know, and she does find certain things that she likes. Uh, She gets to, you know, make a unicorn appear in the danger room. And, you know, there's a couple things. Unfortunately, they do Wolverine and Molly do get abducted and chained to a ceiling by, uh, by some bad guys. And it's not great. Wolverine then does a lot of violence. Yeah, and Molly stops him from killing this guy who basically had, you know, put Molly at gunpoint just a a few moments ago. And they kind of have a a tender moment where they bond a little bit, even though they've been, you know, annoying each other all day. Meanwhile, the Runaways are concerned about Molly and they run into the young X-Men. That's who they were at the time. It was the young X-Men, Adam. You remember young X-Men. Yes, I do. Sure do. And you think they're going to fight because they lampshade that every time these teams meet, there's this weird big fight, which, to be fair, happened when they met the Young Avengers, happened when they met the regular Avengers. Like, it just, in their lived experience, that's not wrong. Anyway, they do a dance party and talk about how great uh, Annalee and Dust and Rockslide are, which is a weird thing for Christopher Yost to do. To be like, hey, look at my look at my favorite characters and how great they are and how much everyone loves them. You know what, though? I, I think it's actually fun. You know, I like the fact that they end up going to this nightclub and they're dancing around. Uh, it just it, it turns it on its head. So we don't have to have the, the typical fight thing. I mean, does Yost have to put a, you know, a supervillain holding a gun up to Molly's head? Um, you know, I think that's debatable for this story to work, but it still happens. Um, but I'm just I'm just not a Christopher Yost guy. I I think I've come to accept that in my life. And maybe that's because when I started reading X-Men, all of the most annoying people in the world were telling me that the Christopher Yost comics were the best. But I'm not buying it at this point. Well, this is the second story we've read in a row where a male writer is putting its female characters in like physical jeopardy so that they can have, I guess, some kind of emotional growth or that the male characters around them can have emotional growth. And it's just, so, it, there's there's something weird about that. I, I just don't know. So this is, this is something that I actually found very interesting. Earlier today, I was reading a uh, thread by sequential scholars, and I don't know who wrote this specific thread. Is uh, it about Ms. Marvel? 
it's about Ms. Marvel. I can yeah, I can then, venture a guess about who yes. wrote this specific thread. Yes, my my one and only uh, Dr. Anna Papard has been writing those, and uh, they're terrific. They are terrific. But one of the things that uh, Sequential Scholars talks about in this is how in the 70s, Carol Danvers was a explicitly feminist character. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, in the Brian Reed stuff, she's also an explicitly feminist character. But how that is shown and whose view that she is seen through is very different between 1977 uh, in the heart of like the women's lib movement and all this stuff versus 2006, where it's a lot of, yeah, I'm just like all the boys and I'm just as tough as them and I'll kick you in the balls and I don't care. Like it's. The way that the way that people are like Molly specifically is put in peril just to be like, look how tough and cool I am. And I get it. Yes, it's a superhero story. Yes, characters are going to be in peril. But it's I've read enough of these to know it's written a little bit differently than some of the other. Then if Wolverine was in that situation, they are not they are they are not handled equally in this. You know, no, and and the story seems to infantilize Molly in a, in a way too, um, in the way in which she's you know depicted in this story. I, she I feels almost, younger than she should, right? Exactly. Yeah, she definitely does feel younger than we've seen her before, and makes it a little bit more strange as you know her and Wolverine are dealing with this life or death situation. So this one doesn't work for me as you know much as our classic Vaughn runaways does um in in establishing that teen drama feel that we usually like from the book yeah it just it doesn't give me what I need it it doesn't make me upset that I've still not really read any runaways between between the end of the Vaughn run and the start of the uh, Rainbow Rowell run. No, I, I don't see any reason why you would necessarily need to in terms of. I mean, read the Secret Wars thing, but that's that's a runaways book in title. Yeah. And we've talked about that on another episode. That's a lot of fun. Um, I do want to say, I think Pacelli is doing a nice job with the art here. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty solid. It's obviously not like contemporary Sarah Pacelli work, but, um, I, I think it looks good. Yeah. There's also a backup story in this, uh, by James Asmus with Asmus with Emma Rios on art, uh, where they fight the sons of the serpent. Sure. That's it. That's fun. You know, the art there is I don't good think too. it's, I mean, I think the art's pretty good there too. I like it just about as much as I like any other James Asmus comic. Also, I have a weird thing about the Sons of the Serpent where I don't like them. Yes, because they're the KKK in snake clothes, but also because the Serpent Society is also a common Avengers Captain America villain. And I like the Serpent Society so much more. And I oh, hate they're, that they're, yeah, they're way better. <laughs> The Serpent Society is unionized. Like, you <laughs> have to understand. <laughs> now, Absolutely I would I would love to see the Runaways fight the Serpent Society because I believe they fought the Wrecking Crew once. And the Wrecking, Wrecking Crew needs to get unionized. Just like oh, they need to. If they're not already, come on. What are I, they doing? I mean. Let's go. But you've seen what we've, what, what our, our culture has done to our construction workers and the unionization efforts around them. 
Like I'm just saying, it's just fair labor practices. Let's let's get that wrecking crew in. I'm pro fair labor practices, just like I'm <laughs> pro people having a magic crowbar. We've established this. <laughs> I love this. All right. So I think we can agree that this is not working. Um, not it's even, definitely not as good as the last story. No, like even in the ways that the last story was working, this is not. So we're definitely going uh farther down the list here. And I I'm wondering how far down I would Is this go. better or worse than Divided We Stand, the Uncanny X-Men arc? Uh, right before Manifest Destiny, where they go to San Francisco and everyone thinks or is hypnotized into being hippies. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm looking around here. I mean, it's it's probably is this better than Extreme X-Men Expose or Deadly Genesis? Yes, it is. Yeah. Come on. OK, <laughs> it okay. is. Uh, I don't think this is better than the other world arc of Uncanny X-Force at 511. Because that tries to do something and fails, but it tries. Uh, Claws and Webs, uh, which is below it from Marvel Comics Present, has Sam Keith art. So that one's that's better. better. That's better. This this is oddly, oddly similar to New Mutants Volume 3, number 37, the Mag- Magma and Mephisto date as like this cutesy one-off thing. Yeah, no, that's true. I think I liked that better, even though it was a really weird swing. And I, but I think this is better than Lord Darkwind Wind from Daredevil, where there there was some racism in that one. I mean, it's it's a Daredevil comic from um, ever. So yes, I believe. Yeah. So I love we, Daredevil. There's some challenges. All right. So Runaways Volume 3, Number 10, Malefest Destiny is at 514. And we've got one last story. Zach, what is this one? Uh, this is Runaways Volume 5, 33 to 35. It is part of the Come Away With Me arc. Um, yeah. It's, so it's by it- Rainbow Rowell and Andreas Genelet. And I'm going to say mm-hmm. the Rainbow Rowell Runaways, as it was coming out, was quite possibly my favorite comic as it was coming out. Like it was, it was up there almost all the time. It, I loved it so much. So I did read the entire arc just so I knew exactly what was going on. Um, even though the issues that we are going to rank are the ones that are specifically a little bit more X focused. I, I think I messaged you after I finished the last issue of this arc because it is a legacy issue. I think it's 38. It's 38. Yeah. And it's, it's legacy issue of runaways legacy 100. And I was enjoying the story so much. I went to read the next issue and I realized, Oh, they canceled this and we'll never know what happens to these characters ever again. And I got very sad. It's this arc. It's frustrating because this was one of the big big casualties from covid mm-hmm. so if you look at the last arc uh cannon fodder it was released pretty consistently and actually ended its arc uh in march of 2020 right runaways then returns in october of 2020 <laughs> and then february of 2021 to run through essentially this this arc yeah. bud it's rough and it's very rough because we had months and months of the two cup co- the first two covers of these 
which is the cover to 33, which is an incredible Chris Aka cover of Gib. Uh, you probably didn't meet Gib previously, Adam. Do you know Gib Steele? Gib is great. Gib is. <laughs> so if folks remember the original runaways, there were the elder gods known as the Gibberim. And earlier in this series, there are three seeds of Gibberim uh, that are like supposed to inherit the earth. And Gib turns out to actually be a good guy and join the runaways. He's a freaking delight. Yeah, he's great. I love Gib so much. Uh, he decides he does not want to eat souls and he fits with the runaways so well because he also has evil parents in that he has uh, outer God evil parents. <laughs> right. Uh, right. He's great. The, the cover shows him wearing a football jersey because he's going to regular uh, human school now. Yes. <laughs> like Molly and Gert. a few other... The, Gert's going to regular human school because, uh, spoiler alert, Gert comes back in the first issue of this after being dead, but it's Gert from the past. And she realizes that she is the same age, but Chase has gotten several years older. And now their relationship is deeply problematic. And even if they wanted to continue their relationship, uh, Chase has changed and grown. And that's not what he wants anymore in his life. And it's very hard because no one did anything wrong, but now they have to be exes. And it's yep. a whole thing. It's great. So Gert has to go to high school. Molly wants to go to school. She's in junior high and she wants to do it. And uh, Gib also wants to go to school because he doesn't know what school is. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. it shows Gib in a football jersey that says the name of the school is the Sabretooths. Uh, by the way, the mascot is the Sabretooths. His football jersey, just so we all know. And this is again, this is a Chris Anka cover. And you need to understand, Gib's an absolute unit. Gib's a, Gib's a huge man. Uh, he also has horns because he's he's orc looking. His football uni uniform is a crop top and biker shorts because <laughs> I'm sure they gave him the largest uniform they had. And that's what it looks like on him. He I mean, is running down the field, holding four guys who are trying to tackle them, dressed in football jerseys of Wolverine, the comics character, not the Wolverines, the bad team that I don't like in football. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Now, in the story itself, Gib does disguise himself as a human, uh, but immediately becomes the star of the football team, which is pretty great. Yes. The second cover that we had to live with during all of COVID is Molly standing in front of a gate in front of Wolverine and Chris Anka doing what he always does, reminding us that Wolverine is a little short guy. Yeah, Molly is actually a little taller than Logan, and Molly is older in um, in these stories as part of this book. And it's she's just not like 13, 14. No, but it's a great cover. You know, Anka has such a great sense of like style and what people actually wear, you know, um, and pair that with not only is Molly have this like absolute stink face looking at Logan, but she's wearing one of her great animal themed hats, which is a skunk, um, <laughs> which is just an awesome detail. She's wearing a D Y N E shirt. Uh, that's yeah. uh, Janet Van Dyne's uh, fashion brand. It's amazing. amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, equally amazing on art. Andreas uh, Genelet, who mm -hmm. is currently uh, doing the art on uh, Rainbow Row She-Hulk book which is, if you haven't read it, also a delight, like a really fun book that people should read. Yeah. It is, he's really enjoyable and really gets the expressiveness and the, like, character acting that you need 
in a runaway story that's really not a superhero action pack thing. It is more about the character drama. And Janelay gets that so well and frankly is underutilized uh, in comics today because he gets it. It's And no one knows what to do with that in a superhero world. Yeah, it's absolutely some of the best uh, character acting that I've seen in a comic book in a really long time. Um, The first issue of this arc 32 is drawn by uh, someone else who does incredible work with this stuff is Natasha Bustos. People became aware of Natasha through her work on Moon Girl, but, um, you know, is very good at this kind of stuff of, of characters having emotional conversations and the face acting and the body acting and the gestures. And Genele really gets it. There are Hey Adam, scenes. just to be fair to you, I want to make sure you you are aware of this. Bustos only did one other Marvel comic before uh starting Moon Girl. So if that's where you first like figured out who she is, that's fine. Also, oddly enough, uh if you if you Google Natasha Natasha Bustos, Google pulls up Carmen Carnero, which tells you the AI maybe not the best thing in the world. Oh jeez. They are not the that- same person. No, no, geez. Un- unfortunately, the internet is not great sometimes. Uh, but Genelay is. Genelay is amazing. There, there are a couple of moments throughout this arc that are truly very emotional. And, you know, Genelay is able to convey those feelings of what those characters are going through so well. Like the soap operatic quality of this story is conveyed so intelligently that it, that's why I was hooked. That's why I wanted to keep reading because I'm left on this amazing cliffhanger at the end. But the reason we're talking about this story is mainly for these central three issues where it Pixie and, and Wolverine arrive at the runaways hideaway, basically because they think that Molly has been messaging them because she's interested in being quote unquote rescued and taken to Krakoa. Turns out that's not the case. Uh, It turns out there is another mutant who is in the area who has been sending these messages and they have to go and uh, have difficult conversation with that family. But it's a great premise. It's a great premise. It is also uh, this comic comes out in, 2021 should have come out in 2020 and is about Krakoa. So it's pretty much a comic that seems like it almost had to have been pitched like right after they got the green light for Krakoa, but Krakoa was still working out a few of the tonal things. Yeah. Like are humans going to be allowed? How isolationist is it? Like what, what's the deal with Krakoa? Because that was still, the rules were still kind of being written on the fly a little bit. Uh, And that, that is very apparent in the conversation that they have with this young mutant's mother who, you know, there's a lot of confusion. Is she going to be able to visit? Is she going to see her daughter again? And they don't really know. (laughs) It does just feel like in the time that went through this, they probably could have like changed that in the lettering pass. Like done one last, like, hey, we should edit this through. But I, they weren't, they didn't care. And that's fine. It was a time. Everyone, everyone was going through it. I bet, I bet what happened is that they didn't reread it until they were ready to ship it. And they were like, oh, oh, well. Yeah. It's a great, great cover though. Yeah. And unlike our last issue where Molly is sort of like flirting with this idea of the X-Men, I, 
I think this works really well here because all of these characters are, there's two things happening here. There's this really, really intelligent, there, there's this domestic vibe that, that Rainbow is writing that is that is really smart, that kind of positions Nico and Chase as the parents of the, the family. And we have these other characters who, the rest of the team who are going to school, right? And you have Carolina who is like not doing well. Um, she's suffering from some kind of illness. And so all of these characters are kind of like not they're They're at home, right? They, they are a family unit, but they are all really in search of who they are and where their future is going to be. So even after it's discovered that Molly is not the person who's been making these messages, uh, Jenna Lee and Rainbow really do a fantastic job of it, of showcasing that Molly is still emotional about this and is seeing it as a potential, you know, as, as a choice that she could make as part of her future. And it, it not only is uh, emotional for her, but it tires her out, you know, like it does to any kid who's, who's going through something like this. Well, cause they, they're having to deal with so much in this. And that's, that's what really works about this comic. Like this run of runaways is a soap opera first. Right. In a well-written, exciting soap opera where I care about these characters. And if all you've done, realistically, if all you've done is read from the Joss or read from right before the Joss Whedon starts, so just read Brian K. Vaughn stuff and then jumped straight to this, you'd be like, oh, they're older now? That's fine. Time skip. Let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it and it works because now they feel different and some of them are adults. Some of them have been like some of them have been on Avengers. Like they kind of know that they can't be these aimless runaway teens anymore. But then what are they? What mm-hmm. is keeping them together? And they're they're having those kind of questions that a lot of young adults have. And it's good. Like the writing is superb. I will never read one of Rainbow Rowell's books because I do not care about romance. Uh, and none <laughs> of them seem interesting to me. But her comics really do hit. Yes. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't note that Rainbow has come under fire for some of her writing um, and some of the characters that she's created in in her books. But I can find very little fault here. Um, You know, talking about romance, there is this amazing, weird love triangle of Gert. Like, will they, won't they (laughs) with Victor Lamont, with Victor Mancha, uh, who's a robot, um, Chase Ultron's son, right? Chase, who is older now and yet is sneaking off at night because a future Gert has come back from the future to save Chase from his own bad decisions in the future. I mean, which Chase makes so many bad decisions. Oh, well, listen, this is after the issues that we're going to plug into the list, but there is a really fun uh, scene of Gert's future that does feature future brotherhood Molly Hayes from Battle of the Atom, which I was like, oh, I love it. I love that design. It's a good one. There's also a love triangle that came under fire at the time. And then when it was explained is honestly funny in retrospect, uh, where Carolina and Nico are like kind of growing apart a little bit right now and going through some tough stuff and nico and pixie start flirting and all this stuff and i remember at the time like oh no they are queer baiting pixie 
and and then it was revealed Rainbow Rowell had literally just only read the pixie stuff in Volume Four of Runaways and Secret War, where she was a lesbian like gang member. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she was like, I did not realize that that was not a thing. And then it turns <laughs> out now Pixie is bisexual in regular comics, so it all worked out. Great, they just kind of I mean, rolled it- with it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it doesn't matter to the larger story anyway, because Nico and Caroline are going through their own stuff anyway. And, you know, again, Pixie's just that, out to have a good time. Yes. She's yes. she's out to make everything tidy. Yeah. So I if if you're not getting this uh, from our elated conversation here, we both really enjoyed this. And I wish it's there pretty was pretty darn more. good. I wish there was more of it. I really do. Listen, the fact that there's 38 issues of this is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> like, they had Chris Onter on this book for, like, well over a year. Mm-hmm. And, and then even then, he's like, I really do love this. So I'm going to keep doing covers, but I can't do it forever. Yeah. Somebody had to go make uh, Spider-Man money or whatever Chris Anka's doing nowadays. Good. Good for Chris. I mean. Again, very happy for Chris Anka. Wish yeah. he was drawing more comic books because I personally like those comic books. <laughs> anyway, Runaways is fantastic. And listen, y'all talk about, I don't know if y'all are listening to this podcast, but the greater y'all, the royal y'all, all talk about, oh, I want more like fun slice of life comics and like coffee shop AUs. Just read this run of Runaways because that's kind of what it is, my dudes. Oh, yeah. It is kind of just is. what this is. Yeah. For folks who are always, you know, saying that they would rather read the in-between break issues of X-Men between adventures, that that's what this is. And it's every issue. And it's fantastic. So it's so good. I love this uh, book. I'm we haven't even out. talked about the fact that they have a Doom bot with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know about Adam, do you know about that specific Doom bot? <laughs> Is this all right? So, you know, what's funny is that um, that was a running gag in Moon Girl as well, is that I believe for a while she had the head of a Doombot in her lab, which what's this Doombot's deal? OK, that's that's a good thing to bring up. This is not that Doombot. Uh, and I do believe that she's that Moon Girl still has that that Doombot's head. Awesome. This is a Doombot that was on the Avengers oh, cool. uh, in Avengers AI. Are you aware of Avengers AI? I <laughs> am. Yeah, yes, I am. That was the that was the robot team of Avengers. Pretty amazing. Is it a good story? I don't remember. I don't remember it being good. I do remember that there was one time 10 years ago where Marvel would just do a 12-issue series about the robot Avengers. I think that came out of Age of Ultron, didn't it? It did come out of Age of Ultron. Yeah. Uh, it's... It's Sam Humphreys, and Humphreys is not one of my favorite writers, just in general. Just I don't vibe with his stuff normally. They'll go again, Adam. I know you still haven't read it, and I've been bringing it up to you constantly on this podcast. Go read his Dial H for Hero. It's great. Oh, you yep. specifically mm-hmm. will love it. I, will. I, I, I can't. Will. I I I can't emphasize it enough. <laughs> you will. You will find so much to love about that comic. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go out on a limb. I think this is a top 100 book. Yes. I mean, here's the thing. I like it better than the Mighty Thor run yeah. uh, that Aaron did. Like, the Asgard Shi'ar War. Uh, I, I I think it's better. Okay. Is it better than the Jungle Adventure, though, from Wolverine? No. Okay. I mean, it's I'm going to put it. 
if, mm. if anything, Jungle Adventure is probably a little too low on, on this list. Because uh, as I look up the list, I see Jungle Adventure. Things. Jungle Adventure has challenges. Okay, you know what? No, I'm going to say that maybe Jungle Adventure, if we ever do another re-ranking, a Ranknarok, if you would. Yeah. Uh, a Ranknarok and roll. Then maybe mm. we should be like, eh, should we go back to Jungle Adventure? And we go like, well, yeah, some of it is problematic, but also some of it's delightful. Yeah. And how do you how do you balance how do you balance that? I would put it above X Men season one at eighty four. Oh, interesting, interesting. X Factor Volume Two is that four issue detective series, right? I remember that being pretty good. It is because right about that eighty it's eighty five is X Men Red, the mm-hmm. Taylor's version. Uh, eighty four <laughs> is X Men season one. Eighty three is X Factor Volume Two. That's the like X Files one, I don't know yep. how else to say. It's the one where they're they're in the X Files. Yep. Eighty two is the Jeff Johns Morlocks series, which I bet if you and I reread that with with fresh eyes, we would we would agree with a lot of our initial points, but possibly see some things that we don't love about it. And then right above that, right above that at eighty one is Astonishing X Men, uh, the Dark Ice Man saga, and right above that is. Uh, global economics, the issue of X-Men where they go to Davos. It's definitely not better than 80. It's not better than global economics. I also, it's not, I think I, I would hesitate. Uh, you know what though? Maybe it is better than that dark Iceman thing. Like I liked that, but God, I loved this. I just thought this was I so would, good. I think we're in the same boat in general. What I would say, I'd put it below the dark Iceman stuff. And above because Morlocks. I think as a unit of story, Dark Iceman works really, yeah. really well. Where I'm this great. is fun and enjoyable, but you can see some of the shakiness given the time that it was coming out specifically. Like it's it's just the weird things that were coming out of COVID. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. So this is going to be our new 82. This will be our new 82. Look at that. Run yeah. away with me, everybody. Actually, the, the arc is called Come Away With Me. Yes. And um, uh, if folks have not read volume five of Runaways, we uh, clearly very much recommend it. Literally, it was like, I don't know when comics like broke for me, like because I am I am more cynical about comics than I used to be by a lot. But there was a time when you could get Squirrel Girl and Runaways, and Ms. Marvel. And they were all great, and I loved them all. And and you could get House of X, Powers of Ten at the same time. And I don't know why, buddy, but I think in 2019, I may have been the most into comics I've ever been, for hey, good reason. Lots of good ones. Lots of really fun ones. Uh, so this was a fun episode. Uh, we've got to thank our patron again. Yes, we definitely have to thank our Patreon supporter, Robert Headley. If you want to be like Robert, patreon.com slash Battle of the Atom. If you want to get a Little Drummer Boy Christmas card where the Little Drummer Boy is for on patreon.com slash comicsxf, go, go hook up with our parent site as well. Spread the love yeah. around. It's, it's the holiday season, the holiday season. And... You know what? It is better to give than receive. That's the truth. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, if you have a moment and you're still trying to figure out what a last minute gift, um, we did the team over at Comics XF and I uh, did put together a little holiday gift guide. So go over to Comics XF and check that out. Uh, Folks, you can always follow me on socials, Adam Rec on Blue Sky and Instagram, Arthur Stacy on Twitter. 
And uh, Zach, what are we talking about next week? Well, it's our annual annuals episode. Ooh, uh, I annual, feel like annual. annually we do an annual annuals episode. Uh, <laughs> and this, that, this is the time when we talk about annuals. And specifically, Adam, we're talking about some dumb annuals. Yes. Um, really they're dumb. annual crossover events. The you remember kind. those? I sure do. And you know, <laughs> you know how we've been doing this podcast for five plus years. Uh huh. Uh huh. So we're running out of the good ones, <laughs> and yet we still haven't talked about some of the good ones. But we are going to have some fun next week. Hold on. What what annual crossover have we not talked about? Oh, a- that I'm sorry. Is good. Annual annual crossover. Yes. I thought. You, all right. I thought we were just talking about annuals in general. I, I, no. I, your your point stands then. <laughs> There are good standalone annuals we have not talked about. I guess technically we haven't talked about the Bendis Eva Bell annuals, uh, which I would consider very good. Yeah, uh, I would too. That technically is a crossover, but only in the lightest sense. Yeah, but we're not talking about that next week. <laughs> we're not. We could have chosen that if we. If we Adam, were kind if we, to ourselves. If we. <laughs> If we didn't say, hey, would it be funny to do Kings of Pain? <laughs> Why did we do this to him? We have the power! Oh, Why? I don't understand us. It's okay. That's why people We're tune broken in. by this show. <laughs> Until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!